All right. What's up, guys? Uh, welcome back to another episode of Elite Physique University. Uh, we are on episode 77, uh, and we have a guest, um, Austin Stout, with us this week um, of Integrated Muscle and Health. Uh, he's going to talk to us today about gut health with competitors and a few other topics as well. Um, but first thing, uh, it's been a little bit. Uh, so, John, how's how's it been going? Yeah, it, it has been a little bit. So for, you know, behind the scenes for our listeners, I think they know we'll do things where we drop an episode and then sometimes we have to go three weeks and then we'll record a couple and then we'll drop and we get caught up it's just because we're all just so slammed and, and busy. Um, so we're just kind of caught up. So we're kind of on an every two week release schedule, which is normal for us. So nothing wrong with that, but we're going to record this week. We're going to record next week. I know Jason's gone. He's in Cancun on vacation. So it's just going to be us three today. So just to kind of catch people up, but for me, it's just been run and gun. So I just got back. Let's see today. We launched our, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see we dropped a vitamin C powder. I know we all kind of get sick and tired of taking pills because we're all taking a ton of pills. So I thought, you know what, let's just release a powder that you can throw in whatever drink you're, do you're drinking during your workout or before your workout or whatever. So that's kind of the big stuff with us. And then we're going to re-release our, our fruity pebbles protein and that's going to be dropping too. So other than that, it's, it's been clients as normal and just lucky, just lucky enjoying the weather and just staying busy as hell. So that's kind of my quick week in a snapshot. Nice. How, how was your vacation? Um, it was good. So I went up to Niagara Falls, walked 20,000 steps a day, which I felt like I was going to fucking die. I don't know if it's because I'm 45 <laughs> and I was like, man, I just do not get out of this house. Like walking around my pool table doesn't get very many steps. So yeah, I went up there and, and I, I don't know. Have you guys ever been to Niagara Falls? Either of you? Mm -mm. I have. Were you in the U.S.? Yeah, I was in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. I've been there twice, actually. It's cool. Yeah, it's 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 super fascinating. So I I've got all those steps in. I, I went to a gym every single day, and I I just ate basically whatever I wanted, made sure I got enough protein, but good and relaxed. And by the time I got back, like I was in full beast mode, work mode. Like I've been putting in twelve hour days, just working on all that stuff. So yeah, much much needed. Awesome. Nice. nice. I feel like that too. Like um, I. I'm married now, so I am now Kayla Rodall instead of Kayla. Congratulations. Here. Yeah, congrats. Guys. Um, and we were gone for a week. So we got married like just outside of Malibu, up in the hills and stuff. It was beautiful, gorgeous, holy crap. Uh, and then we went on our honeymoon right after that. So we did the whole like PCH tour. Like we went down to San Diego, stayed a couple days there, walked like 20,000 steps around the zoo <laughs> all day. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, then we went up to like Santa Barbara and drove PCH from there up to S San Francisco. And that was really cool. It was just yeah. like winding roads, like alongside of the ocean, like cliffs and stuff. Like it was really, really neat. So we got to see some cool stuff. And then same as John, like it's nice to take a break and then you get back and you're just like, all right, I'm ready to go. So um, other than that, like we've been, I've been doing a little bit of a mini cut with Jason. Um, so we got back and he's like, all right, we're going to ramp it up. A little bit because I got like four weeks left and he ramped it. So dropped like three pounds in a week. So we're right on point with that. I'm feeling yeah. it, which is great. <laughs> um, and then I guess as far as clients go, I have uh, one figure competitor that's coming up to one week out for her first show this year, um, coming up this weekend. Um, I have another one just starting prep. And then I have three power lifters in prep right now, too, for a meet in October. So busy, busy. So same here. 
You know, that's it. Speaking of, I know Austin, we're going to get to you to see kind of what your last week's been like. Speaking of, of mini cuts, you're looking lean over there, man. You got the, uh, you got the lean face going on. What's, what's going on with you? Yeah. So that's, uh, I've been, I've been trying to keep up doing kind of a weekly update with that. Yeah. Those have been great on social. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been pretty consistent with that. So this, so it started as, it started as just a, you know, mini cut cleanup phase type of scenario. And um, so I experiment a lot with myself as a coach should, I think at some point in their career. Right. And I still do even, even at this point after coaching for so long. So my, my intention was really to uh, get, I'd been, I haven't competed since 19. So I I really wanted to get leaner than I had in the prior mini cuts. I'd done a couple in there where I just kind of cleaned things up, got my blood sugar under control, you know, basic stuff. Right. So on this one, I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take it a step further. Right. And I want to get quite a bit leaner than I did in the prior uh, mini cut. And then that turned into, well, let's see how lean I can get, you know, without feeling like shit and essentially with keeping most of the normalcy in my, my routine. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And then that kind of evolved into, well, maybe I'll just compete, <laughs> you know, because I've done such, I've done such, I essentially have done so many big kind of growths, bulk phases in, in those last three years. Um, but what I really wanted to do with it was I wanted to see how far I could go without really telling myself that I was in prep. You know what I mean? I wanted to yeah. see like how how lean can I get before I'm really playing that like victim prep mentality. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so 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 up to this point, knock on wood, I mean, I can notice some things in training. My leverage on some compound lifts is not quite what it was when I weighed 240 or 245, right? But for the most part, I mean I'm still making progress in some areas. Um, my day-to-day functionality is not really impacted. Sleep is still good. Uh, I just got blood work back this week. Everything looked great. Um, so, and I, I look back at some old photos too from my last prep and I'm, I'm like eight, to, I'm like nine to 10 weeks yeah. out of that condition from that prep and I'm eating, granted I'm bigger, but I'm eating like six, six to 700 calories more. And I'm doing hardly any cardio, no fat loss, supplement, no, nothing. I'm just like, just, you know, I've done one diet break and I actually did a refeed kind of when I knew is I did a refeed last weekend and I bumped my calories up mostly from carbs. I, I refeed, it was about two, 250, 275 carbs per, uh, for two days. So it was about 550 total, yeah. not huge, blew through it, lost a pound. I'm like, okay. It's like, see, I was like, now that's when I knew that I was definitely getting lean and more sensitive. Um, so this, I'm going to experiment with that a little bit because I dropped a little more this week. So I'm going to, I'm going to hit it a little harder this weekend and kind of see what happens with that refeed. And I just want to see where I can get with it. If I, if I can, if I feel like I'm ready to go, then I will. But the biggest thing is I don't want to be and this shouldn't really matter, but I just don't want to, I don't want to weigh, I don't want to be one pound heavier after three years of right gorging myself with food <laughs> at this right. point in my career. Like that's, it's not that important. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was, I know for sure. Like, cause for you, like going through those growth phases, like you've always had kind of a hard time, like adding size, right. That's why you kind of did that. 
Correct. Yeah. Lots yeah. and lots and lots of food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy, which is like one of the questions that I had. It's like, we can roll into that. Um, sure. My like first questions <laughs> was just about like, you know, you have a couple like big competitors, like, you know, you're, you yourself have to eat a lot. And then like, I know you work with like Felix um, and he's a big dude. And it's like, how do you manage like gut health with them and like off season, like yourself and competitors and, you know, so that you can still grow and eat the food. But then, like you said, insulin sensitivity gets off their digestion gets off. Like, how do you manage all that with them? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the digestion piece or functional health piece in general, it's kind of been kind of been more people are like, think it's females, you know, it's the under eating, it's the overstress, it's the prep, it's the birth control, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you're, when you're pushing large amounts of food and you're heavier body weight and you're training, like it's a, it's very, it's a high inflammation environment. There's a lot going on there that could create some gut dysbiosis. Um, and males will have a lot of the same issues as females. It might manifest a little bit differently, but believe it or not, now I'm starting to get more male bodybuilders that are coming in for for gut health fixes. Right. And, and a lot of those end up turning into clients later. Right. Um, so I, so full disclosure, because I disclose anything, there's no reason not to, I had, I definitely had SIBO after my last, <laughs> after my last push up phase, hundred percent. I did a GI map. I had, I had SIBO out the ass. It, <laughs> it was like, I'm like, it looked like a Christmas tree on my GI map. Now, what was interesting, though, and, the, and I've seen this is my symptoms were, of course, I was full because I was eating a lot. My symptoms weren't the same as what the, the women generally experience in that I didn't really have any noticeable GI symptoms out of just being full by the end of the day. Like I wasn't waking up bloated or anything. I could still pull a vacuum in the morning, you know, when I woke up. So but what I saw on my GI map was I actually had pretty consistent overgrowth between my normal and my dysbiotic bacteria. So it was like I had a full everything was lit up, right? Like evenly distributed. So, and that's what I've kind of been seeing in some of these guys. And what we notice is obviously when we bring food down and we start put bringing them into a deficit, that fermentation comes way down. So of course that in and of itself is going to make a huge difference. So a lot of these guys, what I've been doing with them when they have to push is we may, we may need to run a quote unquote kill phase or small SIBO type protocol, but maybe it only needs to be eight weeks or something like that, just to kind of chill that bacteria back down to normal mm -hmm. or, you know, in the meantime, we're also bringing their food way down. Right. Mm -hmm. Because most of the girls that come in, they don't have SIBO from eating 4,000 calories. They're they're chronically under eating. So it's more of a stress component. Right. Yeah. So, so for the guys, I, I, it's right. So for the guys, it's more like really high inflammation. Right. So a lot of leaky gut, intestinal permeability type issues, a lot of just overgrowth, sometimes reflux. So maybe H pylori and some of those people. Um, so for me, I didn't have to do a whole lot. I ran, I basically ran like a eight week, SIBO protocol, which is pretty short. It's, you know, most people need more yep. eight week SIBO protocol. And I obviously brought my food way down and within eight weeks, everything was gone normal. Um, so I'm getting that in, I'm seeing that in males and that's nothing new. 
male bodybuilders have had GI issues since the beginning of time. Just no one acknowledges it. You know, they're, they're hammering down PPIs and whatever else can't eat, you know, blending their food, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's, it's nothing, it's nothing new. It's just that no one was really addressing it. So uh, you, you mentioned Felix and I have a few other guys that kind of get to that, you know, pretty heavy body weight. He had some things pop up around at, at one point, um, some like IBD inflammatory stuff more in the colon. So we did have to, we did have to uh, work on that with him. Um, but the biggest things I noticed with men are if we support, if we support digestive acids, usually through betaine use and bile, if we get their fats up. So like either I normally go right to Tuca for a lot of these guys, cause it's just a straight bile salt. Um, you can use ox bile or, you know, something like that. And then lots of glutamine and zinc carnosine to keep that gut inflammation and that mucosal lining under control. If we do that during the actual growth phase, then we tend to have a lot less issues and they tend to be able to eat for a lot longer period of time. Okay. I, okay. I've got a real quick question for you. You just brought up glutamine and then I've got another question after that. Sorry. Um, glutamine it's one of the easiest things for people to throw in that a lot of people don't because it's not a sexy product um it's one of the reasons why i started carrying it with fat muscle because my people needed it is there a certain amount for anyone listening that you like sure. to recommend for gut health not just because to me there there's a difference um when people really need it for gut health and when people just need to be taking it in general so what do you recommend to men and, and women for amounts yeah so for on average, anywhere from maybe 10 to 15 grams twice a day is kind of standard if we're running, if we're like kind of like a leaky gut prevention or protocol. Now, I will say that in cases where we have a lot of inflammation, so we're talking like Crohn's, colitis, yeah. you know, things like that. Again, full disclosure, I've run up to 80 grams a day with people. Um, I do a titration. I'll titrate it up over like an extra five to 10 grams a week till we hit peak dose and symptoms are under control. And, but that's not a permanent dosing, right? That's more of like a, that's more of a fix it type of dosing. But with most yeah. of the protocols, 20, 30 a day and a split dose is pretty standard. Um, but yeah, with myself, I ran it really, really high. And that's also running things like, uh, like um, immunoglobulins, like colostrum types with those people and stuff too, to really, because again, you're really susceptible to autoimmune. Your immune system gets super pissed off when yeah. you have that much inflammation going on. Yeah. So those, those few products during the actual growth phase itself will help mitigate a lot of that. And then by the time the growth phase is done, any inflammation that's there is pretty much taken care of by just eating less, you know, when you come out of it. Yeah. Um, I don't, and I, and again, for myself, I didn't do low FODMAP or anything because my fermentation came down because I took my carbs from 900 down yeah. to 400. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. like a lot less fermentation. Yeah. So I, I, I'm a big believer in just 20 gram, 20, 20, um, glutamine 
for maintenance all the time yeah. for me for just solid gut health. And I, it, anytime I mix something in my shaker, I throw five grams in it and I get about 20 a day normally. But the next thing that I want to ask you is, and I know Kayla's got all the notes and everything. So if I throw us off a little bit, Kayla, just, just slap me, but I'll just fill it back in. I, I want to go back in time because we do this a lot on the podcast. I want you to think about something, Austin, when we first started talking, you were talking about your cut and you said, yeah, you know, I'm just doing all the basic, simple stuff, like getting my blood sugar in check and, and insulin sensitivity and things like that. Right. And we can say that these days, but back in 2016 and prior, none of us were, there was only a handful of us really kind of talking about that. And that takes me to gut health when, because no one was talking about this prior to 2016, at least in our, in, in our world that I'm aware of, not at the level that you're going to talk about on this podcast. When did you start to learn about gut health and what is the thing that actually made you start delving into that area? Sure. Uh, pretty much all my functional health interests came from myself. <laughs> that, that's my great own, though. My own issues. Um, you know, one thing that people don't realize and some do that have known me for a long enough time because I've talked, I've talked about things uh, occasionally as outside of a menstrual cycle stuff, which I cannot experience. I've probably had it, <laughs> you know, I've had all the adrenal issues. I've had SIBO. I've had H pylori. I have had leaky gut. I've had, you know, everything like you name it. I've done it right. Low hormones, hypogonadism, all of it. Right. So a lot of it really, a lot of it really stemmed from that. I think, I think probably the first time was actually right around 2015, 16, I got really interested in that component because I was having a lot of adrenal issues that, you know, obviously that stress components, what caused the GI, the GI dysfunction at that time. So I kind of coupled those two things together. And that's right around the time that I started really getting into Dutch testing and, and doing all that as well. Um, and then probably a year or two after that, I kind of started to dive into like the actual GI maps and, you know, looking at that piece. Um, so pioneer, I guess, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're way before I was. Um, I didn't really start thinking about gut health on that level until 2019. And that's because like you and Kayla, I saw you shaking your head too. I had to fix SIBO. I'm like, all right, fuck. I gotta, I gotta go learn this because it's not going away. Three months later, I'm still going to the bathroom like 12 times a day. So like I had to figure right. out how to fix that, which led me to like a lot of Nutridine courses and stuff like that. But I just want to kind of see when you got involved because yeah, it, it's not the sexiest topic in the whole world. You know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna sell out most bodybuilding conferences to hear a, a talk on gut health bodybuilding not functional health with bodybuilding so to kind of see your experience is is going to be fun so i know kayla's got a whole list of stuff to go through and ask and, I, and i'm excited because i'm going to learn from this because i know the protocols but it's just not one that i get super excited to sit down and bring a new client on just to fix gut health but i get excited to learn from people that are excited about it and i can tell that you are so i'm just gonna shut up and sit back and, and think of questions to start asking you Cool. Yeah. This stuff, I just like nerd out on this stuff. So, cause I'm same as you, I went through a bunch of crap hormone issues and that's what got me into it. So, um, next question, uh, 
when you have competitors like coming off of prep, whether they're on PEDs or not, um, do you find that some have gush, gut issues or like anything like that? Um, you know, like chicken or beef, like that's a big one, like, cause they eat, that's all they eat during prep, you know? And then all of a sudden they have like a, an intolerance to it. Do you ever find that with, um, clients and like testing that you do for that maybe? Okay. Yeah. So a couple, so there's kind of, we break that up into a couple different things. Sorry, yeah, that was yeah, that's fine. No. So for one, for one, I would say food intolerances are largely a result of something else. We can say that in general, right? So, um, if I get someone that comes to me and they, one of the things I may ask is, you know, are you intolerant to any foods? Right. And they, and sometimes, Hey, maybe they list 10 different things. If you have 10, um, that's an arbitrary number, but I'm just giving you, I'm being dramatic, right? If you have 10 food intolerances, you probably have an underlying GI issue. That's mm -hmm. as a result, right? That's why right now, a separate portion of that would be, over consuming something. And there's a couple things that can happen there. Palatability is a problem. Like, believe it or not, just palatability of something that literally makes you sick thinking about eating it is a problem, right? Because that is a stressor, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and, and depending on the amount of food that you eat um, in an off-season scenario, for example, uh, palatability is going to change drastically between large deficit and surplus, Right. Like I've eaten so much food that name the, the absolute, your absolute favorite food on the planet. Now imagine that it, the sight or smell of it makes you gag, <laughs> right? So that, that will happen. That can, most people are never going to experience that, but that can happen when you're in such, you've been in such a chronically overfed state that, and your guts screwed up that you just, nothing's palatable. And then on the flip side of that, everything tastes good when you're hungry enough, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You know, that plain rice cake is like heaven. Yep. Those like, I've experienced the whole, the whole <laughs> spectrum, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so, so yes, you could, you could potentially develop some actual aversion to the food just by over consuming it for sure. Right. Um, and then of course you could develop maybe a sensitivity to that food because like enzymatically you've kind of over exhausted the enzymes and stuff that are, needed for that food to digest. So food varieties and food variety gets tricky when you're on low calories, right? Like you mm -hmm. get, because you also think about like volume, you kind of want to stick to the stuff where you can eat a decent amount. So you're probably, you're probably eating the same couple veggies and the same couple proteins and things like you're eating all of the liquid egg whites that you can consume because they right. swell up and it's a lot, like, yeah. it's a lot of volume, right? So yeah, that, that gets difficult. So sometimes just simply reintroducing new foods and things post-show slowly can kind of help with that. But that's assuming that you don't have some amount of GI function, which I'll make a statement that, and this is a general statement, I would say most people probably have at least a little bit of gut dysfunction by the end of prep. Right. You know. Is it enough that would warrant a gut protocol? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. A lot of the time it's just, and, and I, I get this a lot. A lot of the time I'm like, hey, we're not going to run a gut protocol. Maybe we come in with the basics, the glutamine, right? Get that inflammation down, maybe some zinc carnosine, um, just to kind of chill out that, that gut lining and get that mucosal lining and stuff to repair. 
And then let's see where you're at in eight weeks when we bring that systemic stress way down. We start bringing the activity down a little bit. We start getting the food in. We get the cortisol under control. Then let's see if you have any side effects or symptoms left at that point. Um, and we can really do that with a lot of people that come in, even your chronic undereaters. Maybe it's not prep, but it's the same thing, right? There's plenty of people that aren't in prep that are, have been eating like they're in prep for mm-hmm. long periods of time chronically over-exercising, so on and so forth. Now it's, you know, now I get so many functional cases that kind of the default thing is they come in and say, hey, I have SIBO, will you help me fix it? I'm like, well, do you? Maybe. I mean, without any type of testing or anything. And sometimes I don't even test right out of the gate. So a lot of the time it's like, hey, there's so, there is so many stressors here that we can fix before we even need to worry about spending your money on a GI map. Mm-hmm. And not all, but a lot of those cases will have a huge improvement simply by working on that those foundational items, right? And yep. before we need to do a protocol. Now, the ones that the ones that generally do end up needing these protocols are are the ones that have had, you know, they probably had SIBO before they started prep, right? They probably had leaky gut, women, they had candida, they were getting, you know, vaginal yeast infections, like all that shit was already happening before they even went into the prep you know, using antibiotics for their, their yeast infections, et cetera. Yeah. Those people are going to need some intervention, right? And we're not just going to be able to lower stress and, and their body balance back out. We need some additional input from our supplementation, but, um, but yeah, post prep. So like post prep would be pretty much equivalent to getting a new client that comes in that's chronically underfed and overstressed. It's, it's the same environment, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, do you, do you mind do you mind listing a couple of things that most people wouldn't realize do affect you talked about antibiotics like a lot of people don't realize what can affect gut health are there a few little things that you can think of off the top of your head that are kind of those little hidden things that most people don't realize sure yeah so if you're talking about uh well you know sh- stress component being the biggest one others antibiotics for sure um ironically antibiotics are prescribed for things that are probably related to the gut in the first place, acne, for example, well, they could have acne from a back from a bacterial issue in their gut to begin with. Right. Um, so that's a big one. Um, and usually when we're looking at, uh, if we're looking at like dermatology type of side of things, they've used a lot of antibiotics. The people that have been prescribed for acne can have used them for years sometimes, you know, huge issue, uh, birth control being one, right. Um, birth control can do a couple things, obviously the hormonal piece, and that can kind of, that can screw up motility in the gut. So when motility is off for too long, obviously things kind of just sit there. And when they sit there, if you think of it, it's kind of nasty because it's like stuff sitting there is just like festering Yeah. to give you a real nice, nasty word. It's just festering and fermenting and then you end up with this gut dysbiosis, right? Women, and then women tend to be a little more susceptible to, to yeast than men. Um, I do get men with candida too, but women tend to get it a little bit more. And they'll also, they're also the ones that will get more systemic infections. So that's where they get the vaginal, you know, vaginal yeast infections and things come in. What do they prescribe for vaginal yeast infection? Generally, generally like an antifungal or antibiotics or both, mm-hmm. right? So you can kind of start 
putting the pieces together. Um, other things would be, and I would say this is probably like lesser on the, on the uh, priority list. Stimulants, maybe. Um, I, it really just depends because a lot of the times people that are like massively, massively, I'm talking like, you know, 1500 milligrams of caffeine a day. As I drink my monster listening to you. Yeah. Well, and, and look, like I'm not anti-caffeine. That's I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. No. So I don't think. I'm actually not one that's like, you need to use zero stimulants all the time. I don't think that that's really necessary. I think it depends on the context. Yeah. When we get someone that is in that bad of shape, that 1%, 2%, 3% little things, they, they can tend to add up for people. And sleep obviously is a big component to that. Um, but those are probably, I would say antibiotics, probably antibiotics and birth control are really going to be your two big hitters nobody takes birth control for a month right you know? most people that are taking birth control if i'm getting a 35 year old client and they've been on birth control since they were 15 yeah that's 20 years um and and i an honorable mention would probably be and this is men this is way more men than women is your uh proton pump inhibitors those type of antacid medications women definitely can suffer from reflex. Men are a lot more susceptible to it just because men tend to eat more food, higher protein diets. So they need they, their acid requirements are different. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to throw another question at you. It just popped into my head. So, and we don't have this on the notes. What are your thoughts on sweeteners? Because we see a lot of extremes left and right, especially with bodybuilding. Right. And I'm kind of that I'm, I'm middle of the road, but I've also been that person that I, I try everything to the extremes. Cause I'm like you, I experiment and I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts on? And, and there's all kinds, right. There's sugar, alcohol, there's sucralose, like there's all kinds of different, and there's some now, you know, that, that are okay. That are somewhat natural. What are your thoughts on those in general? And what do you, what do you like to see your clients do when it comes to just general eating, like in the off season, for example? Sure. So the sugar alcohol is probably being the biggest culprit because that's where the majority of you are like talking actual fermentation issues and literally it'll stay on the package laxative effects at higher dosages, right? A lot of them, right. your tip, your old school ones, um, even stuff they still put in, you know, like sugar-free gum and stuff. Is is a little bit of sugar-free gum going to hurt you? Probably not. But if you're pounding down two packs a day and you already have a gut issue, maybe, potentially, right? Though you don't really see a lot of your uh, a lot of your zero sugar products, like you know, for example, like your zero sugar monsters or your diet drinks. They don't really use sugar alcohols, except for erythritol. They'll use in some of those, which is night and day tolerated better than any of the older gen sugar alcohols by far. I don't really notice a lot of issues with that. Um, and I mean, I, I suppose if you took enough, you could probably have a problem, but it's going to be tolerated in a lot higher dose than most of those other, most of like your sorbitol, mannitol, like those older sweeteners. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have any, I really don't have an issue with your non-nutritive sweeteners as far as like aspartame, goes or um i mean aspartame and sucralose are the ones you see the most and there's a couple others that get sprinkled in there they don't really use uh like saccharin i don't know 
I guess some like old dude at the at the uh, cafe might use sweet and low in his coffee still probably doesn't matter at that point but <laughs> but not, not not a lot right uh I, I find that those are pretty well tolerated in most people for the most part um in the research seems to kind of suggest that there may be some alteration in this is where it's tricky because I think what happens is people see the research might say if you if you ingest this sweetener that it alters your your gut microbiome. Every single thing that you put in your body alters your gut microbiome acutely, acutely, right? Water will alter your gut microbiome temporarily to some extent. Like anything, and and really, like even things that you probably breathe in on a daily basis are having some acute effect on microbiome. So I think that that research really needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And it's one of those things where it's not something that is going to be a priority for me to eliminate initially with a client, unless I think that they're consuming some absolutely obscene amount that is potentially causing a problem. Because otherwise, those one or two diet sodas in a day or whatever are not going to, they're not going to screw up your gut protocol. They're not like they, there's so, it's so low on my priority list. Plus I feel like too, like if you have people coming in that don't have good diets, like lifestyle clients, you know, with all these like gut issues and then you throw this like, okay, we have to do low FODMAP. We have to do like add the supplement in. They're a little more overwhelmed with all of that. And the less like that's another stressor, you know, the less stress you can put on them. So like little things like that, like sweeteners, okay, you can cut them out eventually if that starts to cause an issue. But yeah, like just slow things at a time, obviously they they need a gut protocol that's different, but just usually getting them on like regular whole foods is going to help a lot. Yeah. And, and that, and that's actually maybe not one of the questions, but that's a a really great um, tidbit is now functional health is becoming so big that we have lots of protocol coaches, right? You come in and it's like, here's your protocol. Take somebody off the street that is, and, so, and we're going to get a mixed bag. Maybe we get the mom that has SIBO. We need to work on her. Maybe we get, maybe it's a competitor that's already pretty neurotic and used to routine. But these protocols are extensive, right? So you have to understand too that, that we're creating additional emotional stress simply by implementing these things. So you gotta, you have to think about that when you implement a protocol, it's not just here's your list and send it on your way. It's like, I need to think I, when I look at it, I can, and I've done so many of them now, it's like, I can tell pretty quick, like, Hmm, that's probably not our go-to right out of the gate. Like that's just too much, you know? Um, now like for myself, for example, I didn't really have any uh, additional emotional stressors other than dealing with people all day. <laughs> that was new to me, right? It was nothing. There was nothing so traumatic that I couldn't just hit the protocol, get in, get out, lower my food, get on my way, right? No problem. It didn't really affect my day to day routine. I just took some more pills that I wasn't taking before, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But for some people, it's a huge deal. It is a huge deal. You know, because they, and they can get caught up in the minutia of it. I need to time this pill here and I need to, you know, and I've got my, my tackle box and I'm like, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. so 
I get that. And that's something that I consider when I'm running through like any type of functional health protocol at all, especially the gut protocols, because they are so extensive. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. Like if they it can be a big deal. Yeah. Cause like, if, you know, like you said, they start to like see all these pills they have to take and then they miss some, or they're like, Oh, I forgot to do this. And then they start to feel like a failure. Cause they're like, I'm not sticking to my gut protocol. I'm not going to fix this. And then they get even more stressed. So like, like you right. said, taking into consideration what that client can handle at that time is huge as well. So yeah. if that means like, you know, they're on a gut protocol, quote unquote, but they have to extend it because you just have to like, okay, let's just work on whole foods first. And then let's work on sleep patterns. And then, okay, let's add the supplement in to help a little bit. Like, you know, you might have to go slow. Yeah. And, and, and trust me, when I, when I first really first started getting into implementing any type of protocol, I did fall under that umbrella a little bit more. And I thought that, Hey, I'm just going to implement this on top of my normal, um, lifestyle stuff that I would suggest to the client. And then we're, it's going to make everything better. And it works the majority of the time, but the, but the problem is a lot of these people, <laughs> a lot of people they've come in, they've run, <laughs> they've run three SIBO protocols already. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're going to need to back up a little bit because <laughs> what makes you think that what makes you think my protocol might be a little different than somebody else's fine, but that's probably not the reason, you know, my protocol versus John's or Kayla's protocol is probably not the reason that you might find success in one place or another, right? A lot of that boils down to figuring out the most practical way to implement things and the most practical way to simplify mm -hmm. everything to the client. So, you know, my motto, my motto with all this functional health has really been like, make is make complex things simple, as simple as we can make the routine. And sometimes that's kind of a turnoff for people because when they come in, they're like, well, I expected something different. Like, well, yeah, but you tried that <laughs> and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like this is your third try. We're going to need to, we're going to need to go ahead and address the things that are holding you back. Right. So yeah, that's a big deal. Yep. a lot of people. Yep, exactly. Oh, yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day. But um, we're still going to talk about gut health, but we're going to kind of like switch to how it affects the thyroid. So okay. um, I know, like, J this was Jason's question. So I'll ask it for him. Um, just like, because I get a lot of people too that actually come in, like, especially females, like, I have hypothyroidism, like, you know, I'm diagnosed with all this. And it's like, okay, but like, do you actually or like, how's your gut health? How's your nutrition? Like how you know, how does how does that, you know, directly affect the thyroid then? Okay. There's, there's probably three main, three main pieces to that. Maybe four. The biggest one, the one that we see most often is just the poor, poor T4 to T3 conversion, right? That's where we see T4 doesn't adequately um, convert to T3. So we see a high reverse T3 reading, which is just our inactive form of thyroid, right? Most common, we see it across the board with tons of people, right? And there's and normally the the whole cortisol and stress inflammation piece makes that way worse, mm -hmm. right? Second piece is, and this is maybe not, it's probably close second would be, you have something called thyroid binding globulin, which we have binding proteins for our, our hormones across the board. So we have cortisol binding globulin, we have thyroid binding globulin, we have sex hormone binding globulin, right? 
So what these do is they essentially determine how much of that hormone is available to use, right? So it's either bound or it's free. And that's why you would see a free T3 or a free T4 reading on labs. So with that, we will generally see an increase in TBG when we have um, a, this really high inflammation gut dysbiosis type of environment. So therefore, even if we have high, you know, hypothetically, if we have adequate T3 availability, too much of it is bound up, right? Um, the third, the third component is where we start getting a little more chronic and that's where we start getting into the immune system gets wonky. And that's where we start getting into antibodies being created and going up so on and so forth. Most, and I, I know that you had wanted to mention Hashimoto's a little bit, so we can yep. talk about that. Um, majority of your Hashimoto's cases have a gut component to them, right? Because a lot of the time that's where that disarray in the immune system is derived from is the gut. So what happens with this is the antibodies will go up and then they start to attack the thyroid gland. And then in turn, thyroid gland can't function properly. So normally you'll see TSH will rise because the pituitary is like, hey, we need to keep signaling to this thyroid gland. But unfortunately, that thyroid gland is under too much stress and it's not able to respond the way that it should. So that would be kind of your earlier stage of Hashimoto's, right? Um, once in a while, we get more chronic cases that come in that have had these issues, unfortunately, for a really long time and their thyroid glands kind of really beat up and you can get, I'm going to give you an example and you may have seen me post this, maybe not, um, where these antibodies have essentially just destroyed that thyroid gland. So I had, a, I had one recently and I've had, I've had several like this. This was a pretty extreme one. Um, I had gentlemen with a TSH of 129. Holy crap. That's real. <laughs> 129. Okay. So I bring this up because I'll show you like the two differences. So a lot of the time with the cases that we see, they'll have the elevated TSH, but it's salvageable. Like we can, we can correct the gut issue and get the inflammation down. And that, and those antibody levels will drop. And in turn, the thyroid will kind of start doing its thing, right? With this gentleman, he had a TSH of 129, but his T4 and T3 were non-existent. So he was getting all of this signaling, still no production. So what happens in the case like that is his thyroid gland is smoked. It's gone. That's a medication. That's, you know, that person needs thyroid medication. Like there's this, you know, and you're going to hear people tell you different things, but I'm telling you right now that like we can, we can take that person and we can get his antibodies down, which we did. That thyroid gland's still not going to function. So mm -hmm. even if we get those, you know, common, like the TPO antibodies, we get them in range, they're gone. Thyroid's still doing nothing. It's ate up. Right. Yeah. And there's some, and there's some scenarios where people would suggest like certain nutrients and stuff to try to rebuild that thyroid gland. But I'm going to tell you, like, at that point, it's gone. <laughs> It is gone. Yeah, so yeah. most of the cases that we get, though, are not going to be that. Most of the cases we get are going to be elevated TSH, poor thyroid conversion. Those, you know, those uh, antibodies start to rise. We really need to get in there. We really need to lower stress as much as we can. We need to point out the fourth piece, which I'll mention, which is probably nutrient deficiencies um, and, and fix that gut. So the nutrient deficiency piece, we do have 
Um, we need things like B vitamins and iron and things to make sure that we're forming the hormones and then also converting them properly. What's probably the biggest contributor nutrient deficiencies? Probably the gut. Okay. Another component would be just under eating, like you're literally not eating enough of something, which of course we can, we can run into with some of the, especially the females that come in on like really restrictive diets. So we need to make sure that we are either trying to a support it through food, which can get really tricky to get all your micronutrients through food when their gut is that delicate. So we might need to come in with like a really nice high bioavailable multivitamin that's going to give, that's going to support all the nutrients. Again, you're going to hear different, different opinions. Some people say, don't do the multivitamin, point out the specific deficiencies, supplement them. I'm like, listen, at that point, you have no clue what's absorbing. You don't. So your best case scenario is you support most likely. Right. Um, so those are kind of like the four pieces. So the antibodies conversion, TBG and deficiencies are kind of like our, our four that'll crop up from the gut uh, issues. Yeah. What about like, you know, I have, I'm sure you do too, like quite a few people that come in and they're already on like thyroid medication, but you know, they're not necessarily like, that was just the first thing that they did because, you know, but then like, you know, you support their gut, reduce stress, everything like that. Is there a chance that then they can come off of that thyroid medication? Yeah, for sure. So in the eat, probably the absolute easiest one are the people that are prescribed T4, which is most commonly what people are prescribed. Because what you'll see is the physician keeps escalating, mm-hmm. keeps titrating up the T4 dose and nothing in like very minimal result, because of course, all that T4 is converting That's really poorly, <laughs> right? So what you'll, what you'll see is like, oh, all of a sudden my thyroid medication is working again, right? Because mm-hmm. now they're, they're converting properly. That person you know, you're working with a physician again. So you want to say you want, I'm always going to be like, Hey, show this to your doctor. Like, look, your thyroid, your T3 levels are like way up now. And you haven't changed your dose because of course your reverse T3 is down. So see if they'll lower your dose. They go in, they lower it. Thyroid still looks great. Now we're in a situation where we might want to just yank it and let, let the pituitary start signaling to that thyroid gland and let it, let it do its thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You definitely you definitely probably want to make sure that everything's really solid before you do that though. Um, I know a lot of people are really gung ho about like getting rid of the birth control and the thyroid and all this stuff, like right out of the rip, you know, right off the rip with everyone. And I'm like, well, but we don't have the environment to support it. You know, if we pull, we pull the birth control out, they're going to need those hormones that are suppressed are going to need to recover, but you're not eating anything and you're super stressed out and you're doing tons of activity. It's like, we don't really have an environment to support that thyroid recovery or that estrogen recovery or whatever. Right. So it's like, we really need to get everything in line before we start trying to yank stuff out. Most likely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Support that first, make sure you kind of like, I think of it as like overlapping a little bit. And then like, as you do that, then you can start to kind of like bring that back down. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. John, anything to add to that thyroid stuff? Uh, not really with the thyroid. It made me think of a couple other questions that I want to ask you once we get down towards the end. So, Kayla, once once you're through our list, just let me know, and I've I've got a couple I'll ask. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the last one was still kind of related to thyroid with 
going into the Hashimoto's part of it. Um, so we all know that that's from like high TPO antibodies um, attacking the thyroid, like you said. Um, but then like, what are the main things that, you know, you do with clients with their health and their routine if they have Hashimoto's to try to bring that back down? Because, you know, we can never really get that back down to zero if they have it, but we can always control it. So how do you manage that with them? That is a good point. So a lot of the time people get kind of hell bent on getting antibodies to zero, which doesn't happen a lot of the time. Um, but you can definitely get it to a reasonable extent to where everything's functioning well. So just because you have some presence of TPO antibodies, because TPO is generally the one we look at most commonly, um, that doesn't mean you have Hashimoto's. Like you, you really just need to look at what the thyroid hormones look like and what your TSH looks like and kind of make a uh, you know, an inference from that. But, um, so again, the gut component is going to be big on that. Normally with autoimmune, there's a really large inflammatory component to that. So again, that's kind of where the glutamine. So the thing, like my staples are probably going to be glutamine, zinc, carnosine, maybe some aloe in there for additional soothing effects that actually has a little bit of literature to support. It might actually lower antibodies, which is probably more indirectly from lowering inflammation. Um, if you want to go in even harder, you can go in with things like immunoglobulins. There's some choices. There's a lot of choices there. You can do a colostrum. Um, like I like the like symbiotic brand has like a really high yield. That's like really, it's like 25% or so of, um, immunoglobulins, or you can do a straight immunoglobulin product would be like bloaties or like just thrive as a pill form. There's another brand called just thrive. That's a pill form. I think they use the same patented form. Um, but the point is you need, you need the actual immunoglobulin portion of that. Right. Uh, and then beyond that diet can come into that as well. Um, you, a common suggestion would be like the Mediterranean type diet where you're running, you know, plenty of monounsaturated fats in the diet. Um, you're running probably like low, not, moderate, moderate carbohydrate, maybe from, from like lower fermenting sources, you know, we're talking, uh, maybe a little bit of lower FODMAP fruit in the diet, but all in all, we want some fat in the diet. We want those monounsaturated fats that are going to be a little more in the anti-inflammatory type of category, omega threes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that dietary wise, that works pretty well for most people. Um, unless again, unless you're getting someone off the street, that's eating horribly, just cleaning up their diet's going to be anti-inflammatory. If you want to, you know, use that term, um, in inflammations, inflammations kind of it by default, every single one of these people have inflammation, Yeah. whether, whether their CRP or whatever is elevated on their labs, like that doesn't necessarily mean they're not inflamed. Like they are all, they all have in some systemic inflammation going on. And in some people it can manifest a little more noticeably. Like some people get that really heightened, um, immune response, inflammatory response. They get that like histamine type response where they're having a lot of, you know, when they, when they do have that intestinal permeability, they're having a lot of like autoimmune issues on the skin, eczema, psoriasis, um, even like people with really, really chronic dandruff that have gut issues there, there can be a connection there just like patchy skin, you know, I mean, all those things could be inflammation, sore joints. I had a gentleman, I had a, I had a guy last, probably last year, he's still a client, but he, uh, 
he was having, dude, he'd went and got MRIs done, you know, joint, all his joints, imaging, all this stuff. Cause he was like, couldn't hardly train. Like he didn't do anything. And we corrected his gut and he has, he's 99% joint pain free. Right. Nice. So, so funny how it presents so differently for everyone. Right. So you can't, so unfortunately there's not a really a catch-all. There's not really a catch-all for that, but you, but if we're talking autoimmune, assume that inflammation is elevated. So of course you can do some of the other anti-inflammatory type supplements, like a good curcumin, you know, you can use things like, you definitely want to use things like fish oil. So all those things that you would maybe typically use can stay in play but then that additional gut support and dietary support as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. I think that's where people go wrong is they want to start throwing like every medicine that they can at it, you know, cause they have this disease, you know, so to say where really they're just, there's a lot of inflammation going on. And if you correct that, that can correct a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And in more, more chronic cases, like I've gotten, it's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes I love to help people, but now sometimes you're like, Hey, just go to Austin. And I'm like, man, this is a wreck. This yeah. is bad. You know, cause they, they're like, he he'll help you, you know? So I'm getting like rheumatoid arthritis, right? This, which is usually autoimmune driven disease, right? Does it have a gut component almost always, right? So is there a genetic component? probably. But again, some of these even more severe autoimmune diseases, I, I talked about this one time, I think it was like in one of the classes where, um, you know, talking about how when things become systemic, you have even the blood brain barrier, even your, your blood brain barrier will become more permeable too. So you're talking about neurotoxicity, right? We already know that like serotonin, for example, is heavily produced in the gut. So we already know that psych can become a component to some of these gut issues, which sucks because you already feel like crap. And half the time, these people are already really stressed out. So now you, you tank out all their serotonin and it's, and that's why, again, why do you think, you know, if you get a new client that comes in and they're on an SSRI and they have IBS, yep. voila, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's, there's your sign. I read a, I read a cool piece on, and then I think this was what I had in one of the classes where I was talking about a, a paper that was written and this was kind of old and it was kind of cool to see was a, um, a scientist was linking IBS and he was calling it a neurological disease. So basically what he was saying is when you're nuts and you're stressed, you get IBS. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, well, of course. But at the time, you know, in the 80s or whenever it was written, that was probably like a, some cuckoo crazy, you know, craziness. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that definitely now has like some some merit to it. That's for, for sure. sure. You know, but, for you know, sure. they say always say like people like that that come out with those like crazy ideas like back then, like now it makes sense. So, yeah, I'm going to I'll give you one example that will kind of sum that up. And I see this one a lot. Client has gut issue, right? They come in, newer client. Maybe they don't, maybe I'm not convinced they have SIBO. I don't have any testing or anything. They are eating pretty, you know, maybe it's the Mediterranean style diet or low FODMAP or whatever it is. They're doing okay. 
we don't quite have it figured out. They go on vacation. They eat like shit on vacation. They feel great. Why? Mm. Well, because everything that they were stressed about is gone. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Right. And I'm not saying that's across the board. Of course, they could feel like shit if they ate terribly on vacation too. But my point is I see that relatively often where, and I, and other correlations, like I have healthcare workers that work, you know, four twelves, and then they have like three days off. They hardly have symptoms on their three days off. Yeah. Right. Or by the, or that third day that they have off, they're, they're almost not symptomatic anymore. And then as soon as they go back, it's like, they, yep. they blimp, they're a blimp, they blow back up. Right. So it's a pretty easy thing to see when you, once you get like two or three weeks in with a client, you can, you can see those patterns like relatively easily. I, yep. I literally yeah. just had that exact thing happen. I've got a guy I've been trying to get to drop for like six weeks and his body will not drop. Now he came to me and had already lost 25 pounds and his calories are pretty low. Like I had to, I had to put him on like 1900 to create a little bit of a deficit. And he's a 220 pound guy, 1900. So he's already getting down there to the point to where he's right. his me me metabolism slow. He went on vacation. I couldn't get him to drop for six weeks because work is very stressful and his sleep is low and he's just slammed all the time. So like, you know, how it is quote unquote, I can't get any more sleep. I couldn't get the guy to drop. He goes on vacation, doesn't work out eats a relaxed diet and just walks around, has a good time, drops four pounds. When he comes sure. back, he's down to 217 from 221, goes back to work, goes back to everything like normal and is up four pounds in two days. He's right back to the 221. And it's one of those things to where people don't realize when you go let go of all the stress that's going on around you and training was probably a component of that, right? Because he didn't train when, regardless, it's kind of the same thing as you were just saying. Right. So it's always interesting to see that as a coach. And sometimes it helps for our clients to see that when you can point it out step-by-step, step, Hey, look at what was happening before, look at this week. And now look, now your body's going back. So you've got to yep. fix those stressors. So it, to me, they're tough situations. They're really hard to yeah, fix they are. as a coach. It's, like it, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, hard it's like the, it's like back in the day when we, we thought the free meal was the metabolic was right. the metabolic primer, right? Really what we were seeing is the free meal was dumping a shitload of cortisol because you got to go and sit at the restaurant and hang yep. out and chill. That burger and fries that you ate was probably it that was cooked in canola oil, you know, fried in <laughs> peanut oil or whatever. It was like probably pretty inflammatory, but you looked great. Your yeah. your aldosterone level dropped. You looked dry, you looked hard, and you lost weight. Well, why? Yeah. Because yeah, you just were less stressed, you know. Like we know that now. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it, I, I do want to go ahead and ask this now that, that we're towards the very end. I, I had something that I was sitting here thinking about some common questions that I get about gut health, not so much the really granular stuff that we've talked about, which is outstanding, but more of a macro look at this. I, we all get those questions about intermittent fasting left and right. Mm -hmm. And I have kind of a, a theory on this sauce and I want to throw this to you and to you as well, Kayla. We see a lot of people say that they want to give their digestion a break and they want to do an intermittent fasting protocol, whatever that is, 16 hours or pick the time frame, right? You're just going to fast and you're not going to put anything on your digestive system. However, you're still going to get the same amount of calories in a 24 hour window. What I've seen personally is, yes, you give your digestion a break for maybe it's 16 hours, but then you cram a lot of food 
in your body at once. And especially if you're someone who's eating a lot of meat or you're eating quote unquote clean, I just don't see the benefit there. And I try and get clients to spread their meals out and to pick different choices to give their digestion a break. Austin, what are your thoughts on that? For anybody that's listening, that's wondering, is there a digestion component to intermittent fasting that's beneficial? Or do you think, do you kind of see along the lines of what I just said? What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you there. I think the, I think fasting in general would obviously relieve, I mean, you're not eating anything, right? <laughs> quickest, quickest way to relieve your digestive systems. Don't probably don't put anything in it. So the issue is again, if you're trying to meet, if you're still meeting the caloric needs in a shorter window, then yes. And a lot of the time with intermittent fasting, like people like to get real, real fancy with how much food they're putting down, you know, volume, like volumization of things. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it just tends to not do any good. Now I'm not against fasting necessarily. Like I'll use, I have used periodic fasts with people um, on occasion as like a nice reset. But I'm, when I fast, it's literally like, it's a reduction, right? It's like, we're not eating it for the 24 hours or whatever it is. And we're just not adding it back in somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a fast. And yeah, and that can have some, that can have some benefit for, for folks. But in general, um, like meal frequency can, can certainly play into, you know, can certainly play into digestion, you know, real basic, or since we're talking basic, it's like, if you look at migrating motor complex, that's the, that's what moves the food through the actual GI tract. It takes a while. Mm -hmm. So if you're eating every two hours, like you're overlapping digestion. Yeah. most of the day the only time you're probably empty is when you wake up right so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword like you don't want huge meals but you also don't want you know you also don't want a meal frequency where you're eating so often that you're never actually allowing that that mmc to work and fully clear so you know maybe that meal frequency is like four or something like that instead of the super high meal frequency i find that for those cases, like, especially with the amount of food that a lot of people in the GI protocols are eating, which isn't normally a ton of food, then somewhere around that range works pretty well because it's long enough in between meals where they're, they're emptying, they're starting to maybe get hungry by that next meal and we're ready to go. Whereas if we're doing, you know, um, you can maybe try, like you could maybe try six or seven, but again going to have going to create a lot of overlap unless those meals are like itty bitty, you know? So I think for most people, fasting can help um, periodically, but for the most part, you just need a meal frequency that is going to be allowing you to actually clear food between meals. Cause your, your motility is probably already slow because you're, you know, cause your digestion's a wreck anyhow. So if you're trying to, if you're trying to smash down seven meals a day, with uh green veggie in every single one of those yeah. it's like man it's just by the end of the day you're just going to be a blimp and that that brings up something else that so for our coaches we have a lot of coaches that listen to the show obviously they'll have someone come to them and they're backed up right and we and i see it personally i see it more in women than men um especially when women are trying to get 150 grams of protein or more a day for example and they're eating lots of meat and things like that Common tips that you could point out because this is all tied to gut health, right? So common tips that you could point out to help someone 
with digestion because it's it's a it's a thing that happens a lot and people don't know they think just go get cleared out go take a mag citrate we call it we joke and call it mag citrate but go take a mag citrate and drink a whole bottle of that but then you're sitting on the toilet for you know a day and it's not the it's not the most fun thing to do in the world so what are some common ways that you like to help someone that comes to you that is backed up and maybe and maybe explain what backed up is like, like if they're, if it's female only going every two days, do you consider that backed up? Obviously if they're going once a week, that's extremely backed up, but what do you consider backed up? And then how do you, how do you help some people that come to you like that? We probably, I mean, the main things would be trying to kind of pinpoint why they're backed up in the first place. Um, usually backed up would mean their motility is slow they're not, they're not, you know, moving things through the way they should be, or they maybe don't have uh, enough fluid to like form a bowel or something like that. Right. Or, or, or maybe even they're eating too much fiber in their diet and it's really slow in their motility down. So um, for those people, if I'm going to kind of just strip it down to basics at the beginning, again, I'm going to try, I'm going to use a reasonable meal frequency. I'm probably going to bring their fiber down to a more reasonable amount or bring it up and a reasonable amount might be like, you know, might be like 20, 25 grams or something like that. Cause like 25 grams on someone that's eating 1800 calories is, it's a good amount, you know? So, um, making sure they're not hammering down, making sure they're not getting all 150 grams of carbs from fruit and veggies, you know what I mean? Things like that. Um, and then beyond that, is going to be really just when are you getting backed up? Is it every day? Is it around days you work? Is it around certain events like throughout your week? Are you going on the weekends, but not during the week? Do you even give yourself time to go to the bathroom in the morning when you get up, you know, like that, you know, not a, not a TMI thing, but I'm like, dude, I'm so regulated that I'm like up. uh Oh, bathroom. (laughs) Like that's every morning. It's like, bam, every morning, you know, and um, a second component to that would be it it is relevant. You kind of alluded to this. It is relevant to like how much food you're eating. Um, Yeah, you might not have three or four bowel movements a day if you're on super low food and not getting much dietary fiber. That's fair. That's fair to say. Right. And on the flip side of that, if you're eating, if you're a dude, you know, or a female and you're super high food relevant to you in the off season, and you're still only going like one, not even fully cleared bowel movement a day, you're backed up probably. Right. Um, the last piece would be diarrhea can sometimes be constipation in the sense that, um, if you're having those like brutally watery stools that are just like, you're basically just peeing out your butt every day. You're probably a little bit backed up in the sense that that fluid and that stool and that waste aren't really forming yeah. and creating a bowel. So like you're going, but you're not excreting much waste. You're kind of excreting fluid and like a little bit of whatever, like flaky stuff that comes out with it. Right. So those can be backed up. Um, so it's like, that might be a fast, too fast motility stuff's moving through you too quick. Right. Maybe you need a little bit of soluble fiber in there to pull that stool in to slow the motility down. Where on the flip side, maybe you need a little less fiber in that person because they're hammering too much and it's and they can't they can't push about. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with using 
a motility agent occasionally. Like sometimes with people, if it's really bad, I might use it on the front end to get things cleared out and then so I can regulate it. And then, I'm, but we don't want to rely on that, obviously. Um, man, it's uh, dependency, dependency on laxatives is a real thing for yeah, sure. Like people that dependency on stimulant laxative is a real thing and it can be a huge issue. Um, enemas, like people doing, you know, different types of enemas and things when they get dependent on it, it's rough because now you have a psychological dependency on yeah. this thing as well. You know, Oh shit, I didn't drink my coffee this morning. I can't go to the bathroom or whatever. It's like, well, it's probably not the problem, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so sometimes it's just a matter of, again, just like a little investigative work to figure out like, when are you getting constipated? What are you doing around those times? You know, things like that can make, can make a big difference. Like getting up, giving yourself an extra 20 minutes in the morning to actually be able to sit on the damn toilet, you know? So yeah. stuff like that can make a difference. Not, not being so frantic and stressed and just trying, you know, constantly all over the place, trying to rush, 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 rush. Easier said than done. <laughs> right. Uh, totally. Totally. And, and, you know, you brought up one more good point. And then that's all I kind of have for the, for the day was talking about people can be having too much fiber. And sometimes I'll get a client that will come to me and they'll say, Hey, I've been backed up for a few days. You know, maybe it's been Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday check-ins come and they're say, Hey, I've been backed up. So I, I added, I added more fiber to my diet to get myself moving. And I said, ah, usually, usually that's not something that always works because it's like adding cars to a traffic jam. If you have a big traffic jam, the last thing you want to do is add a bunch of cars to it because it's going to jam it up even more. Um, so I think a lot of people that don't understand sometimes fiber can make it worse if you're adding fiber. Right. So it's all kind of like you said, kind of take it in context on, on what's going on there, yeah. but that, that's all I really had on my end. Kayla, Perfect. do you have any questions for Austin specifically? Uh, no, I think that's everything that I had for today. I mean, I could always go on and on and on about gut health because that's one of my things that I love to talk about. But um, we only have like a little bit of time. So I definitely want don't want to keep Austin either. So, yeah, just thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Yeah, Austin, you're you're someone that um, I'll, I'll kind of end with this, Kayla, and then you can take us out if you want. But you know, for those people listening that don't know, before COVID hit, we had the Physique Summit Conference, Cliff and I did, and I brought Austin in, um, and he was going to start doing Q&A panels and then ultimately a speaker. And as COVID kind of shut us down, because we had to have like 150 people to fill a room to pay for all these speakers and people that we had, and we haven't been able to do that. And Cliff and I are trying to look for a spot to get this big conference going. But in the meantime... Austin, you've been speaking all over at the PEC and in different ventures and things like that, podcasting for years. The reason why I bring that stuff up is because we need people like you back on the show more. Like you're somebody that can literally talk about every single facet of this from being a natural competitor to an enhanced competitor, a coach's perspective, a hormonal perspective. Like you're somebody that we need to have back on. So Kayla, I know, I know you keep the list of guests that we have. There's so much untapped potential that we can have Austin back on here for, even if it's just to do a Q&A. So, Austin, I just personally appreciate you, man. You do a lot for the sport. You do a lot to educate people. And um, you're always learning and trying things yourself. And I admire that because I'm that way as well. Like, So I can right. definitely – I can definitely uh, – I can feel those vibes. So I just want to say thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Anytime.
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for me too. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest one here and I look up to all of you guys. So I see you. Well, John's old, but that's, here we go. It's time to end it now. (laughs) Time to end it. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you've helped me with a couple of clients of mine that I've had questions on and stuff. And it's just like the fact that, you know, we're all here to help each other too and learn and stuff is that's what I love most about all this. So, so yeah, you definitely, definitely need to come back on so we can chat more about this stuff and just nerd out for sure all right well guys um i think that's everything from today um keep an eye out for more to come of course um we got some exciting things coming up for elite physique university as well um but otherwise we are out of here so see ya see you guys